Acts 27 is where we're at tonight. That uh, comes right after Acts 26, page 936 in your Bibles. If you have the same Bible as me. Um, it's something that happens in this chapter that happens over and over again in the Bible that I think is, is really neat and something that really is God's doing. And that is, God takes a prisoner and makes him the guide of a situation, the person that everybody else is looking up to. Uh, so you have you know, cases like, remember Joseph, and Joseph was a prisoner, but then because he could interpret dreams, Pharaoh needed him all of a sudden. And Pharaoh and all of Egypt and, and ultimately everybody in the surrounding lands was looking to him to guide them through as he always looked to God. And then you have in the book of Daniel, it's happening all through the book of Daniel because first, when the first time that Daniel interprets dreams, Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego and all the other kind of wise men over there, were they were set to be killed until Daniel interpreted the dream. And then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were in the process of being executed, thrown into the fiery furnace. And God saves them. They become the people that the king and all the country looked to. Daniel was in the process of being killed, being executed, just like his friends, thrown into the, the lion's den. And then God saved his life. And then everybody looked to him again to, to help guide him through. Uh, Paul, even with the Philippian jailer, right? Him and Silas were in prison, and they were singing. Then the doors opened, which isn't supposed to happen in prison, from what I gather. I don't know. You have to ask Corey about that. But uh, I think they're, they try to keep those doors closed best they can. And so the jailer thought he was in big trouble, but then he was able to, uh, you know, look to Paul. Eventually, Paul ended up. Uh, teaching him and his whole family the gospel. And here, it's a, a little bit of a different situation, not quite so theatrical, but Paul's a prisoner, and as we go through this chapter, we see how everybody starts to turn towards him more and more for instructions and guidance. Um, and I, I think that's a neat thing, and this is uh, an important theme because what that shows, as the theme presents itself throughout the whole Bible, is that ultimately, this world is going to give way to the next. And ultimately, all the, all the wise men of this world, all the rulers of this world, world, it's like a tongue twister, all the important people of this world will be looking to the Christians to the Bible, to God, to figure out what to do for the next time. So that's the, that's the big lesson here, before we even read a single verse. Uh, but there's a lot more to, to learn. This is the next to last chapter in the book of Acts. So um, this particular story is about him getting to Rome is almost done, but really Acts is just the beginning, right? 
just the, the beginning for the church. So, Acts 27, verse 1. And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And when he says we, um, this is Luke writing this, right? So Luke is with him. And and we'll bring that up in just a, just a second again, that it's sort of significant Luke gets to be with him. But they embark um, in a ship of Adramidium. And I read that because I'm a millennial boy. And I said, oh, Adramidium. This is the stuff that Wolverine skeletons made out of, right? But um, no, this is a seaport. It's not even a metal. It's a seaport. And they get a ship from there, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia. We put to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. Aristarchus. This is not the first time we hear about that. Your, uh, your translation may even say the one Aristarchus. Like this is our introduction to him. But he's already been in the book of Acts a couple of times. And he's going to be mentioned later on as a companion of Paul who traveled with him. So if you have Aristarchus and you have Timothy, who are companions of Paul as he travels, along with, you know, no telling who else might be with him, just because of him, then he's not really that threatening of a prisoner, is he? This isn't that tight of an imprisonment. Um, he's, I mean, what kind of, what kind of dangerous man out there is going to get to bring his doctor and his friends along to go on this cruise to Rome, right? It's not really a cruise to Rome, but not everybody there is a prisoner. Um, but that, that tells us something, and, and we'll get more clues about how really easy this particular imprisonment is. He doesn't always have it easy. He does have hard, um, hard times when he's in jail, and he has times where he's Obviously, he's endured lots of beatings, and he was stoned, um, and he fits into experienced shipwreck. So he's got plenty of persecution he has to deal with. He doesn't have an easy life, but this imprisonment um, is easier than, than a lot of them. So the next day, we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly, and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. There you go. That's more of the same. So Julius, who's the, the guy in charge, the Roman guy who's in charge, not Julius Caesar, different one. Julius Caesar's long dead by this point. But um, this man has obviously already been influenced by Paul's teaching. Maybe he was even there when Paul was talking to Agrippa during Agrippa's hearing of Paul. Um, but if not then, we know Paul doesn't waste an opportunity to preach the gospel, to tell his story, to tell the love of Christ, the power of Christ. And this guy is, at the very uh, worst, a sympathetic to Christianity and to the church. Um, so that's going to come in handy later, but that shows, again, who we're dealing with in the Apostle Paul and the influence that he has on people. Then, 
they sail across. Oh, verse 4. And putting out to sea, from there we sailed under the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. And we had sailed across the open sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia. And we came to Myra and Lycia. There the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us on board. We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Sinaitis, and the wind did not allow us to go further. We sailed under the lee of Crete off Salmoni, coasting along it with difficulty. We came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lycia. So what's going on is they've got to, this would be a good time to have a map of the Mediterranean Sea in front of you. Um, but it's okay. You can picture it. We're not going to go a lot of detail, even though Luke does go in pretty good detail about this. But ultimately what they're trying to do is they're trying to cross halfway across the Mediterranean Sea, or more than halfway maybe. But they're getting to Rome from over here in Palestine. And um, in order to do so, they've got to endure all the hardships of the Great Sea. Luckily there's a lot of islands you got Crete, Cyprus, Malta, all these other islands, and they can sail close to those islands and make it a little easier. Um, last year, I think, not last year, two years ago, because it's 2019 now. So 2017, Lena and I went to um, Isla Morada for a little overnight uh, stay, and we did a paddleboarding tour. And for the amateurs that we were, there was, what we had to do, there was a a storm coming in for that. And we had to make it, there was a bridge, so we had to make it to the other side, and then against the current to get where we were going. And it was really shaky if we were going to make it. The guide was laughing at us, it was a woman, so it was even more embarrassing for me, because, you know, it's supposed to be, like, better at that stuff, but... Not, not so, not in this case, and not in a lot of cases, really. But uh, it, it was really difficult because every time we'd, we'd try to go across and, and it would hit us and either knock us off a paddleboard or turn us around, and finally we'd make it across. And we made it across one time. Then we went up and you get under that bridge, and it's really, really strong, coming right at us. The current is. And so that knocked us out. And we got so close. Just right there. But we, it knocked us all the way back to the, the beginning. And so we did it all again. And eventually we made it past. And it was, it was smooth paddling from there on out. But when it, you know, just the way, you know how it works. A lot of y'all go out on boats all the time, fishing and, and things like that. And you know how water, wind, and the way the, the land is around it, it just makes it really difficult sometimes. Um, water is not always friendly. And so that's what they endured. Part of this trip here at the beginning is actually favorable for them and helps them move along. But then they get to some points where they have to stay close to shore. And it's about to get really, really crazy. In verse 9, he says, Since much time had passed um, and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. There, there is probably, you know, he's an apostle, he's got the Holy Spirit with him, so it's hard to say for sure. But the way that he words it, 
and the fact that he's not shy about giving the Holy Spirit the credit and, and things like that, it seems that this is just his experience, his wisdom as the man Paul. He's, you know, he's done a lot of traveling. He's done a lot of uh, sailing himself, being on boats, all these missionary journeys. He traveled a lot before then, and he says, "Listen, I see where this is going, and I don't think it's going to work out well for us." But they don't listen to him. You can't really blame him. It says, but the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. Well, what are you going to do, right? If you got this prisoner that's saying, I don't think we should go any further, what else is a prisoner going to say? He's probably also thinking, why don't we just take me back home, take these shackles off, and just forget this whole thing ever happened? <laughs> and then you have the owner of the ship, and you have the pilot, the captain, he's saying, we can do this. Come on. I got this. This is nothing. Uh, I've handled uh, these these storms. They're way worse. And I was. I remember one time I had this little craft out on a 50 foot wave that was going through the fjords in Norway. And they're like, "What's Norway?" And, um, so <laughs> it's of course they they didn't listen to Paul. You can't really blame them. We we know Paul's right. Hindsight, they figured out Paul was going to be right, but this is not really something that that we should be mad at them about. In verse 12, he says, And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing, facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. Anyway, so the... The conundrum that they're in is they're at a, a harbor, at a port, and they, winter's coming, right? And it's going to be rough, and they've got a, a rough passage to continue on towards Rome, going westward. So they're at a port, and they could just stay here, and this is what Paul is saying they should do. We should stay here in Fairhaven. Um, it's a pretty fair haven for us, and so we should stay here. And then after winter's pass we can continue on. Well, the problem with that is that Fairhaven's not that great of a place to stay for the winter. It's not that secure of a port for them. So they'd be, if they could reach Phoenix and that harbor of Crete, that would be a much safer, much better place for them to spend the winter. The only problem is they're kind of racing against the storm and racing against the, the bad weather and the bad season. But they chanced it. So now when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete close to the shore. Now before we keep going, just think about those boats, right? These are not at all like our boats. So they're, they're going to not be made as well. They're wooden, and they're the same bow and stern, front and back. So that way they... Um, in case of emergency, they don't have to turn the boat around. They can just kind of turn their sails around and start. Barge. Like a barge. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, so part of that is they have anchors on the front and the back, both sides. And so in, a, in case of a, a storm or something like that, they could drop the anchors in the stern and even two, or in this case it's going to be four anchors in the stern. And that'll just help them out a little bit more to weather the storm. 
So, verse 14 says, But soon a tempestuous wind called the Northeaster struck down from the land, and when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. Running under the lee of a small island called Calda, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship, and then fearing that they would run aground on Syrtis, they lowered the gear, and thus they were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's half overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Okay, so this is not just a rainstorm, thunderstorm, strong wind sort of situation. Uh, this wind that they're enduring is probably more along the lines of facing a tropical storm, maybe a small hurricane. So it's a really bad deal that they have out in the middle of the water. And they've taken a couple of precautions or measures to help ensure their safety. They literally wrapped like these cords around the boat, so like a, a belt holding the boat together, right? And we don't do that very much anymore just because our boats are so much better. But um, they're doing that just for some more support and to strengthen the integrity of the boat. And then it got to the point where they were jettisoning cargo, and everybody was helping, not just the ship's crew, but everybody, all hands on deck, um, which implies that they were dealing with a leak. So things were getting really, really dire at this point. And that paragraph ends with them thinking, this is how we go. All hope of being saved was abandoned, and, and that's it. There's nothing else that we can do. But since they had been without... Oh, also, talked about the storm. All these clouds are blocking the, the moon and the stars, right? And that's how they navigate. So... They don't really know where they are anymore. So not only are they trying to just survive and stay afloat, but they don't even know how close they are to, to land. Um, maybe not even a great idea of exactly which direction they're going. they got some idea because they're going against this wind that's trying to kill them. But things are really, really bad. Verse 21 says, Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Man, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Uh, thanks, Paul. We don't need it. I told you so right now. Yeah. <laughs> but he's not a, I don't know, he may have been rubbing their face a little bit, but really the, the reason why he says that is to establish um, confidence in them for what He's going to continue to say the instructions he's about to give. He says, Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the, of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. Okay, so a few things from this that we can actually you know, make an application with is that this is when we know 
Paul is going to see Caesar. So as soon as he appeals to Caesar, back when he was getting beat, um, we know that as far as Rome goes, he's going to get to see Caesar. But a lot of things could happen. He could die along the way. They very easily could have died here in this shipwreck. Um, he could have... Uh, something could have happened where he escaped, God intervened, you know, like he did with Paul before, like he did with Peter before. Um, all kinds of things could have happened, even though the the human mindset would have set him straight on that track to Rome. But here, because God says it, or because the angel who sent from God says he's going to see Caesar, this is the point where we know 100%, as a matter of fact, he's going to see Caesar, and nothing can stop that from happening. Nothing can keep that from happening. And so, as a man who is uh, really, really hungry, really, really tired, and is not sure where he is, and everybody else around him is really panicking, then that gives him comfort, right? So, he knows he's guaranteed to be alive in Rome before Caesar, some way, somehow. And, And he knows what to do. The second thing about that that is impressive that we can learn from is while everybody else is giving up hope and abandoning hope, evidently Paul had been praying. And that was his response to the situation. And not only was he praying just sort of a, a selfish prayer about himself, but probably he was praying with a concern for everybody in the boat with him, and probably for their souls as well, because if they hadn't yet been baptized, I guess that's uh, one way to get baptized as a last resort, is if you're going to drown in a shipwreck situation, then you could um, you could still be taught and saved, and, and you don't have to go anywhere else to get baptized. But he... Uh, he probably hadn't taught the whole whole boat, and he probably hadn't baptized the whole boat. And so there's, like I said before, when, during the invitation, he's got a genuine concern for their souls and for what's going to happen after the shipwreck, after they might possibly drown, although he knows now that's not going to happen. Yes, sir? Certainly. And I think the lesson for us today is not focusing on trouble, but to look to my God. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so he had that peace and confidence that nobody else had, right? And they were already, before before they even got uh, saved as far from the shipwreck, um, they were already starting to listen to him because... They were out of options. They were had lost hope, and they were down to their last resort to, to listen to this prisoner. So when the fourteenth night had come, this is verse 27, 
as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea, so between Greece and Italy, um, about midnight the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and found 20 fathoms. A little farther on, they took a sounding again and found 15 fathoms. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. Um, So that may be a sign of what we're talking about. Here they are, the sailors, praying. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. Why why would Paul give those instructions? Right, absolutely. Not only the anchors, but any kind of lifeboat they might have had, any kind of alternative way of salvation rather than just trusting in God. Um, how's God supposed to to prove He's the God, that He's the Savior in this situation if there was anything else that they could give credit for? Right? And that's what happens a lot of times. People turn to God and then they see another way to explain how something happened. And then they can say, well... I, don't, I can understand how you thought that was God, but really, if you look at the science and the physics and the odds, blah, 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 this is could maybe a whole Egyptian army drowned in six inches of water, blah, blah, blah. and <laughs> um, that's just what people do, and it's, it's sad and it's pathetic, but God, in this case and a lot of other times, he just took away all other options of salvation. So the only possible explanation is if God followed them through it. Um, and that might come back up again here in a little bit. So, verse 33, As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, so not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. That's some solid advice. It's just, you know, they're all hungry, they're all tired, they're going to need their strength, um, they should eat. And this is, sometimes people get so busy and so distracted, they don't take care of the necessities. Um, when I, one summer, I was a summer worker for a camp, and before camp got ready, it was, it was a lot of work. It was, um, for the, we had two weeks to get ready for camp. The first week, we just worked eight to five, manual labor, not that bad. But the second week, it was like working 6.30 in the morning to like 3.30, 4 o'clock the next morning, sleep for an hour or two, and then start over. And um, it, was, it was pretty exhausting. But what the director of the camp, what he was really adamant about is that every couple of hours, we eat a snack. And... Because he, he said, if, uh, you know, if you're not healthy, you can't work. And that doesn't do me any good. So he wanted us to, to keep eating. But sometimes we just do that in our life, not with food necessarily, but in other situations we get so distracted by what we think is 
the most threatening thing that we neglect an underlying more basic need, a more important, more vital need. Um, so like in this case, if they don't eat, it doesn't matter what the storm does because they're just going to die of starvation. But in our lives, it doesn't matter what we do with our jobs if we lose our family. Or it doesn't matter what we do outside the church if we don't take care of our health in the church. And by going to church, by studying the Bible, different things like that. Um, so we should take care of our needs in order, right? Does that make sense? Everyone agree with that to a degree? Okay. Sure. Absolutely. And what you said, it made me think. So this, what I'm about to say, is completely unplanned and just right off the top of my head. Um, but it's just me learning from, from y'all what chapters all the time in this class. If Paul is able to get, he's a prisoner. He starts out this ship as a prisoner. And he's able to get this influence and even this authority because of his peace and confidence when everybody else is in a panic, when everybody else thinks that they're out of hope, right? And that has a tremendous influence. So like what Brother Don was saying, you know, it's very possibly he's going to have 276 baptisms the next day. Um, so today, and I don't, I, I'm not trying to step on your toes or anything because y'all can step right back on mine, and I don't, I'm not trying to start anything, but I was just thinking out loud, recorded, so the whole internet can hear this. Um, with our society, and there's a lot of things that really seem to concern us, and a lot of times we we take that seriously, which is a good thing, but we get kind of panicky about it, right? And you see, like, on social media and, and our talks and different things like that, where we just sort of, it's, it's like we're scared about what's going to happen, or we're scared what might could happen, and show a concern, which is good to a degree, right? But could we have... A different kind of impact, maybe even a better, more effective impact on people if instead of running around saying the sky's falling and saying that, you know, all this sort of thing, if we said, if we had a peace and confidence, knowing that, hey, everything's going to be okay for Christians, right? Not saying that, I want to be clear to... To make sure you understand, I'm not saying that we should just say, oh, don't worry about anything, don't worry about 
you know, who you vote for, don't worry about the sins in this world because God's just going to take care of it and everybody's going to be all right. That's not all I'm saying because there's a lot of, a lot of seriousness out there, a lot of serious consequences to our decisions, um, whether in society or whether it is with our souls and that sort of thing. But maybe just our demeanor, if that changed a little bit, I wonder what that would be like. All right, moving on. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and I'm going to try to later. This uh, reminds me, I remember learning about, and I know I've got to move along, but I remember learning about Magellan and how you know he's the first to circumnavigate the world and how he got close to the end of that trip. They'd run out of food. And so for for a long time, they had to eat like biscuits and leather just to sustain themselves. Um, so they can get... Pretty intense in that kind of situation. Um, so, as the day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day that you've continued in suspense without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. In verse 35, he says, And when he had said these things, he took bread, and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Again, you know Paul, um, giving credit to God. And this is not an ordinary thanks, because like you were just um, pointing out, you know, a lot of people will look at this and say, what really do they have to be thankful for? You know, they're, they're lost at sea, they're about to die, they're starving. And Paul's looking at this, and he's saying, thanks God for this, for this food, maybe for this opportunity to, to demonstrate your power, that sort of thing. So that's a little subtle thing that we read over a lot of times. I think it's good to point out. But they began to eat, and they all were encouraged, and they ate some food themselves. And we were in all 276 persons in the ship. When they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. So they, you know, they, had, they were full. They didn't need more food. So they threw it out to help them out. Then verse 39 says, And now when it was day, they did not recognize the land. And pause right there. A few verses ago, the sailors had prayed to make it to the next day. Well, now their prayer has been answered. Although Paul told us it was going to be guaranteed anyways. But just uh, something else. So now when it was day, they did not recognize the land. But they noticed a bay with the beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea. At the same time, loosening the ropes that tied the rudders, and then hoisting the foresail to the wind, 
and made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow stuck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. The soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. And this is the same deal with the Philippian jailer. Um, because if the prisoners escaped, that means the guards had to give their lives too. It's also with Jesus, um, with the, the guards that were stationed at his tomb. Um, you know, they were really concerned that he rose from the dead because if you know, the right people found out that Jesus had escaped them, they had to give their life. Well, Jesus did escape them, obviously. But that's what they're concerned with. That's what these soldiers are concerned with. So they say, these prisoners can get away. We don't have them confined to the ship anymore. They can swim off. They can find another boat, maybe. They can get onto this land and, and hide from us. So the only thing we can do is kill them. If we want to save ourselves, we have to kill them. But luckily, Paul had a friend that he had made. The centurion, verse 40, verse 43, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land, and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land, confirming what Paul had said earlier, that no one would die. Um, so, good guy, Julius, the, the leader of all these soldiers, protected Paul. Paul's life could have been done there. Even after saving the lives of the guards, they wanted to kill him. And Julius said that wasn't going to happen. We're out of time. Um, Do we have any prayer requests that need to be added to our prayer list before we close in prayer? Let's pray. Holy Father in heaven, we're so thankful to be a part of your family. We're thankful for the time to come together and study with one another your word to help encourage us and teach us and instruct us throughout the middle of the week. We pray that we can uh, be good examples to those around us and that we can grow each and every day. God, please be with those who um, who need your help getting better, particularly Sister Sabra, that she can feel better. And please be with us as we go home tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.